Hello and welcome back to the Miss Amanda Chen Show. We're now in season two of the 100 Masked Men series where I anonymously interview different men from all walks of life about gender roles, expectations from society, and how that affects our self-worth. This month, we're taking a special focus on men's mental health, sponsored by Tether, the world's first online peer-to-peer support community connecting men for open and honest conversations about life. And this week, I'm highlighting the many different lives of Asian men. Masked man number 42 is the hot Asian. On the search for what media would deem a hot Asian man, I found a health and body transformation coach living in Bangkok. And in this interview, I discovered he was actually from Toronto and learned how differently he was brought up than what we would consider the typical Asian household. Even though we come from very different places, we were able to deeply relate about similar experiences. We learn about what it's like being raised by a strong Asian mother figure with three boys. And I get a glimpse of what it's like living in Thailand. And it made me really reflect on the entitled behaviors of tourists that visit these hot destinations, especially ones that are popularly known for exotic services and what men do with money and what women do for money. Let's get into it. I hope you enjoy the show. So I was born and raised in Toronto, actually Richmond Hill to be particular. Yeah, so I grew up in an Asian neighborhood, but also my elementary school, I grew up with also a lot of Italians and a lot of white guys, so white people. So uh, most of my friends growing up were white and my mom was in a predominantly Caucasian industry as well. It's like commercial insurance. And my dad also worked for like a steakhouse. So, you know, a lot of Caucasian people. And the way we were raised, the reason why we say non-traditional, because my parents never put pressure on me to study a certain thing, to go into a certain career path, right? They always left it up to me to kind of find what I like to do, which I know is very rare, especially in Chinese culture or Asian culture, where, you know, you're set up to, you know, walk in your dad's shoes or study this so you can be a doctor or something. So in that way, I grew up non-traditionally, so my parents just let me kind of decide what my destiny was. And they, you know, showered us with a ton of love. Not saying that's non-traditional, but love always came first in the family. And we had three boys and the love was unconditional. So there was no favoritism felt. I mean, maybe sometimes I felt that they were favoriting my my youngest brother because he's the the smallest. And Sometimes you feel like he's the most spoiled, but if you take a step back and just look back, you know, my parents tried their best in terms of showing us equal amounts of love. And so I guess when you're brought up being so blessed around a lot of love, around having the opportunity to just, you know, follow whatever path you want, be friends with whatever friends you want, even though, you know, you come home at 2 a.m. Yeah, I just remember so many nights just, you know, coming home high as hell and then talking to my mom I don't even think my parents knew they just gave me the freedom to even like choose my friends no like boundaries but they made sure you were respectful right like we didn't run wild we didn't run free like crazy kids but you know we respected our parents because you know they showed us so much love and you know you don't want to kind of let them down in that sense Hmm. so I think that's interesting because usually there's like the typical rebellious teenager time where you're you'll just do anything that your parents tell you not to do right and since right. you didn't have those restrictions i think that's similar to like you know when weed is legalized you know like it would be less there would be less criminal activity because it's now allowed and there isn't that taboo exactly. aspect anymore <laughs> do you think that's an issue or do you think another anomaly with your household being three boys like there was if there was a daughter or like a a girl would your parents be more precious about that and maybe instill more boundaries versus you know three guys are, are pretty self-sufficient you'd say that, that's a great question I've actually never thought of that I think the reason why I never thought of that because if I think about it now I don't think it would be any different like that's how amazing my parents were I I can't even explain it they were just you know happy that they had healthy children that they were respectful that you know they had manners that they came home for dinner most nights or if not all nights 
And I think if there was a a girl in the in the family, I don't think it would be any different, to be honest. The way they treated us or the way they kind of brought us up, no. So it's interesting to think about, really. It's the same way with diets and people losing weight in terms of uh, restriction. Remember, we talked about that and rebelling. Mm-hmm. And so the reason why I'm just going to go off on a tangent because I'm an online weight loss coach is that the reason why a lot of people cannot lose weight because they restrict themselves so much with certain like food groups, like for example, keto, right? Oh, I cannot eat carbs. I cannot eat carbs. And then on the weekend, if they get, you know, a taste of carbs, they allow themselves to just binge like crazy because they know on Monday they're going to be restrictive again. And so they binge, 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 and then they fall into this cycle where it's binge, restriction, binge, restriction. So in terms of kids and rebelling, it's like, you know, if your parents don't let you, you know, eat junk food, you're going to sneak out as much as you can to eat junk food, right? And because uh, our parents just let us, you know, choose whatever path we wanted, we kind of naturally made the most respectful choices, I think. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of Brene Brown and she kind of makes a difference between guilt and shame? No. Can you uh, elaborate? Yeah. So, I mean, in both aspects, it's both your fault, but in shame, you just, you feel like dirty, you know, like you feel immoral. And I think that's what you get when you do something restrictive, right? Where yeah. you're not allowed to do something or you feel like you're not allowed to do something or you rebel. And then you feel like super shitty once you do it right so kind of that like continuous relapsing and then you further define yourself as less worthy every time you continue to do that right so that's how it turns super dangerous but then if you're talking about guilt it's like oh yeah that was my you're talking about the behavior that you did that was that you feel guilty for you're not saying that you are a bad person it's just the one activity you did was bad so if you have this positive upbringing where technically you're allowed to do your own decisions, you would feel guilty in the sense of being a bad kid. Like you, you want to make them happy. You want to do good things. You want to be a good person just for the sake of that. And then you might feel guilt, but you'll never feel shame in the same. Right. Right. I totally, yeah, totally agree with that. So yeah, most of the time I was feeling guilt. Let's say if I, you know, come home high yeah. I'm like, oh, if my mom found out, she'd be so disappointed and that would hurt me a lot, you know, <laughs> because, you know, you, you respect your mom so much in that way. Okay. How much did it matter to you, like what you were doing with your life and getting the approval from your parents? A lot, I think, a lot. And um, I'm trying to think, yeah, I mean, they never, I mean, they made sure you studied hard and things like that, but... You know, we had such a a close, tight relationship that, you know, they were the people you always wanted to make proud. They were the people that you always wanted to make happy. Uh, You wanted to be a good son. Uh, You wanted to be a, you know, a good person so that, you know, your mom would would see that and they'd feel happy. And I think, yeah, it was it was a big deal to to kind of seek approval from your parents because of that, you know, respect level between the kids and the parents and because sorry that we we knew how hard they worked you know to kind of put a roof over our head to save up for that big house that we got coming to Canada with a hundred dollars in their pocket from India we kind of you know you don't realize how important and how amazing it is back then but we still had some sort of feeling that you know they were working really hard like they worked two or three jobs just to put food on the table and yeah I think I went off the tangent. I don't even remember what the question was. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's absolutely about that, about wanting that approval from your parents. But I think also it was more wanting that approval out of respect, because I think, like you said earlier, is really clear that you already had their love and you felt comfort that they would be approving of any decision you made. But it was more like beyond that, you had this feeling of responsibility. So what, what does that mean to be like a good man to you? A good man, like now, or like when I was maybe growing up? Are they different? Uh, It's a good question. I mean, I guess back then being a good man was just, you know, making sure you had manners, making sure, 
you said thank you, making sure you gave back to the community in any way you could. And I did that with my basketball program. I hosted a, a lot of um, basketball tournaments for the community, just trying to bring people together back then. And now what I consider being a man, I actually had a revelation in the, la in the latter half of 2020, uh, where my career finally picked up. And it's something that, you know, I really love doing. It's really fulfilling. It's making me money, right? And so I think the last few months, I actually, for the first time, felt like a man. And that means when I think about my wife and my future family, I'm going to be able to provide them, you know, a house if we need, put food on the table, just to, you know, I think the last thing that I was missing of being a man in quotations is, you know, providing security and providing for my family, right? I know my health's in check. I know that I can kind of steer them in a healthy way to be healthy. I can, you know, I'm a nice guy. I can make a lot of friends. I can build a community, but in terms of security and, you know, making enough wealth to kind of make them feel secure, I think I finally have that and so these last few months i can like confidently say in the mirror i wouldn't say to anybody's face that i can finally be a man for my family so why do you think that that was the last step for you because i mean isn't that kind of the first step of adulthood of like you know making money for yourself whether that's you know getting a job or owning your own business yeah. right so yeah like a level of amount of money that you think that you had to reach as a milestone or is it the way that you're getting that money like I, I think I, yeah I think it's both so I mean I've had a lot of careers right I've made good money back in the day you know internet marketing things like that but I guess something was always missing in terms of fulfillment and mm -hmm. so if I asked myself you know back in Toronto while I was making good money if I saw myself doing that job for the next five or ten years I probably would have said no Right. And that meant a lot to me. That meant something to me. And so when I got the opportunity to move to Bangkok, I just jumped on it because, you know, you never know what's out there. I wanted to get out of the Toronto bubble because it is a bubble. People don't realize they're in a bubble unless they get out. So the difference between the career path I'm on now is that, first of all, it's scalable. I finally have something that's scalable. But more importantly, it's something that fulfills me. It's something that fills my heart. I am helping people regain their vitality, regain their life, regain their health. And, I'm, and people are paying me for it. And on the way, I'm making incredible friends. I'm building amazing relationships with these people because I'm pretty much, you know, their life coach. I'm standing next to them. I'm holding their hand throughout this whole process. And just the feedback they give me, like, you changed my life, blah, blah, blah. That is like the most uplifting thing that I've ever been through and I'm getting paid a good amount of money for it and so this is why I feel there are levels to kind of career building and finally feeling financially secure okay so it's like a combo effect of like you, you kind of fulfilling a purpose that you uniquely feel that only you can fill you know that it was like meant for you and yes. you know you're in a different place versus you know in the bubble there's you're getting paid properly for what you deserve for what you're doing right so it needs to be like all of those things together yeah in order yeah, to, and I, yeah. exactly and uh, uh, two years ago I would have never saw this coming and that's why it's still like I wake up every day like really like I get to do this and get paid for it it's still yeah it's still a shocker every time I wake up that's why I always wake up you know with a kick in my step because I just love doing what I'm doing yeah, I think I recently had that feeling as well. When I started the podcast and I started coaching as well, I was like, I can get paid to do this that I love doing. Like, I don't even yeah. know, I don't know what work is anymore. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. And what was the tipping point to get you there? Did you have a moment or something happen? Yeah, it was a big moment. So I follow this guy on Twitter and I've, been, he's also a body transformation coach and I've kind of seen the kind of engagement he's getting. I read all the replies and like this guy is a frigging authority, right, in this space. 
And I kind of, I met him back in the day in Toronto. So, you know what? I just messaged him one day and I said, Hey man, I, I really respect what you're doing. And, you know, if you, if you've been following me a little bit, I have the same aspirations. Would you ever consider mentoring me? And so he's really reluctant at the start because he, he's never done it for anybody before. And he doing this would pretty much give me the keys to the VIP into his business. And so obviously he had to make it worth it for himself. So, you know, he offered me a proposal, shit ton of shit ton of money. Right. And I never made any type of investment like that in my life, but something told me that if, if any time is the time it's, it's right now, right. It was during COVID, but I was like 2020, I'm going to be investing in myself, you know, no more buying expensive shoes and bullshit like that. And so I hired a business coach, almost more like a life mentor. And in about two months, my life completely turned around with this business. And yeah, that was the turning point, I would say. That's so cool. I love that you went over to somebody and you're like, hey, teach me how to be like that. And I did the same thing when I started working with a business coach. I was like, hey, how do we become you? And obviously I'm prepared to invest in doing that. And I think that's what changes it. Cause I'm sure you get like constant messages from random people saying like, Oh, can you connect me to this industry? And you're like, well, what's in it for me. Yes. Yes. And I think that's a huge thing of just like, it's not a competition. You know, there's enough space for everybody. You're obviously going to do it differently than, than he did. And it's just, you know, him showing you the ropes. And then at the end of the day, you take it yourself. And I think people get too scared of opening up to that. Yeah, exactly. And wow. I mean, even like my mom, my whole life would tell me, you don't know until you ask. Right. And she actually used this, used this life lesson when she was always trying to negotiate prices (laughs) at the supermarket or something. Okay. Uh, Yeah. I would call her, I would call them like pretty frugal. I guess maybe, you know, coming from a third world country, but I mean, there's a lot of value in that lesson, right? You don't know unless you try. Yeah. And so I think that's always stuck with me. And I said, Hey bro, do you want to coach me? And he's like, all right, well, that's a short story, but that's ex- probably pretty much how it went. Yeah. Don't ask, don't get. And exactly. you know, if you're sure about what you want, I think that's already a sign in itself, right? Versus. Yeah opportunities coming to you. And I think we're so used to being afraid of saying no to an opportunity that doesn't fit because we're afraid it won't come back or there won't be another opportunity, like living in that lack versus like pursuing the opportunity and being assertive about it. So I'd love to get into a little bit more on just what living in Thailand is like. So what's your current lifestyle now? My lifestyle is so great. <laughs> no, I'm, not, I'm not trying to boast, but Thailand is actually an amazing place uh, for several reasons. One, if you think Canadians are nice, Thai people are 10 times nicer than Canadians. The, the reason I say that is because it's just innate, innately like part of their culture to be very like, you know, service minded, you know, how they're always bowing to people and things mm-hmm. like that. And so you're always feel welcomed everywhere. And that's just, that's just a great feeling. You know, it's much different than somewhere like Hong Kong, right? Where it feels like everybody's hustle and bustle. Uh, you're always on the go. Like, it doesn't matter who you bump into, things like that. In Thailand, it's more like we say like sabai, sabai, like chill out, chill out, relax. Right. So that's one of the reasons why. Second reason is because the weather is amazing. And third reason, everything is really convenient. Like I can get anything I want delivered to my doorstep in about 10 minutes, no matter what cuisine, my groceries, a pair of dumbbells, like anything. So those are, those are quite great in terms of um, everything I love about Bangkok so far. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds amazing, you know, to kind of get like that chill island vibe, but then also still having some aspect of a city vibe with everything being available to you, right? Yeah. Oh, it's it's a metropolis in Bangkok. It's pretty hustle bustle, okay. like if you want it to be, right? Yeah, it's just a lot different than what people come here. And when they come here and visit and be a tourist, it's much different than if you're living here. Okay. And you can, you, can only, you can only 
uh, understand what I'm saying if you've actually lived here. Okay. So I know we were talking earlier about just like some toxic traits that might exist from male travelers that come in and kind of disrupt the city or take advantage of the women that are there and their politeness or niceness to all visitors. So what is it like in that sense? Yeah, I mean, I understand, I understand that that side of the culture. I mean, when I visited for the first time and I had, you know, my friends take me around Bangkok, they would only take me to like, you know, this place called Soy Cowboy, where like, you know, there's a lot of girls and they're they're dancing, they're half naked, blah, 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 you know, prostitutes walking around, things like that. And so I don't blame people for thinking that this is all Bangkok and Thailand has to offer. But then when you live here and then you kind of you get itched into the culture and you start loving every every aspect of the culture, the people are amazing, the food's great. And then you're on the outside looking in when it, when you see, you know, foreigners come in and, you know, they think they're the shit. They think because they come from a, a first world country and they have a lot of money that their money could pretty much allow themselves to think that they're better than everybody here right and that shows through their behaviors with the with the women here they just think because they have money these people should be doing whatever they want and at the same time like some of the women here are in that type of industry and sadly you know they give it to them and so yeah it's it's kind of tough to see kind of hurts you know that a lot of women here are doing it like I'm sure most of them, if not all of them, obviously don't love what they're doing, but they're just trying to make a little bit of money for their families. And the thing about Thai people is that the reason why they want to make money is so that they can give it back to their family and give it back to their parents. Right. So even talking about this right now kind of like breaks my heart because, uh, yeah, I mean, that's just life, right? Some some girls feel like, you know, the best way to make quick, good money is through, you know, sometimes prostitution or like things like that. And at the end of the day, they just want to make money to bring back to their families. Yeah, and I think it's like, I mean, on the other side, I guess, like, coming from a woman's perspective, like if I go out traveling, and I have money you know coming from a first world country I act like I don't have that money because I'm afraid of like getting kidnapped and right, then right, having to pay yeah. out that money right like versus a man like I think it's, it's a bit harder to capture in that sense and then I can see that abuse of power but also like in that community if it's traditionally known in those spaces that prostitution is available then it's kind of hard for locals to not also do that you know because then you'd be the only one that's out of a paycheck right so it's kind of that mentality because there are no there's no other way to get it if everyone else is doing it and I think it's that yeah and like I, I I know how much the typical Thai makes like minimum wage right and so like when I when I hear stories about you know how much they would charge for like you know those erotic services like if you're a poor thai woman like that would pretty seem pretty enticing to be honest right the amount of money in that in that industry and so yeah it's uh it's a tough place i must say and i'm yeah kind of hurts to talk about sometimes is that similar to other parts of asia like I'm sure you've traveled to different places in Asia. Like, is it like in comparison to Japan, you know, and their erotic activities, you know, is is it different? Uh, I would, I would say it's different. However, I've never experienced anything like that. I would, I would just, I would assume so because it's more of a, is Japan a first world country? It is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm guessing it's, you know, you'd have to pay a lot, a lot, a lot more for those types of services in a place like that, you know, uh, that's what I assume. Okay. <laughs> but in like Vietnam, I think it's very similar to Thailand, but Thailand is known as the place where, you know, you can get 
you can have a lot of fun. So I think that's pretty cool that, you know, once you enter a new space, you kind of try to respect that culture and the pleasantries that are involved in that. But then once you get into payment for sexual services, there's like a, a layer of disrespect that comes into it or like a power or control play. Yes, yes, yes. That's the sad part. So how did that change your view of girls and clubbing and that moving from Toronto over to Bangkok and like not just uh, traveling anymore? Like how did that change your mind? Well, it's apples and oranges. Mm -hmm. I mean, clubbing in Toronto, I guess if you want to talk to a girl, it takes a lot more work because there's a, what's that word? Not entitlement, but... I don't even remember what it's like to club in Toronto. I just, re- I just remember that, you know, guys would get the bottles and try to impress the girls, get the girls to the table, have drinks with them, and then try to hit on them from there. In Thailand, all you need to do really is, you know, speak English. And, you know, that is traditionally what people say that's all you need like you just you know go up to a girl you speak English and you have a pretty high chance no matter how you look that you're going to you know quote-unquote score that night like what changed your mentality on women you know and and the club scene because I mean if you're saying in Toronto I know that men there used to just flex you know you get your booze you get the, the bottle and you like might get home with somebody but if you're saying in Thailand, there's more like services offered, right? So it's like, do they often get the right payment for what the agreement is? Because I feel like there might not because there's a language uh, barrier, they might not understand. And like you just said, if all they have to do is speak English, they might go home with someone like, it's not promised that they're going to get laid or that they have to pay to get laid. So how would they participate or you know, have a <laughs> mutual agreement where like, that's respectful, right? There's no way. All right. I, I, I think how it works is that they tell you how much it is up front, but I've also heard stories that they tell you after. So I'm sorry, I, I don't really know how to answer this question because yeah, I don't have uh, such uh, an opinion on it, to be honest. Yeah, I, I guess you'd have to be like really in that scene to get more context for sure. But that's how I would see like just that those, I guess, confusion or, Uh you know, people getting or people feeling that they're getting manipulated. You mean the guys? Yeah. Uh, I would like, I, I mean, if you're the way that I think of it as a traveler, if I'm in a new country and I don't know how things go, Mm -hmm. I'm always afraid of like being asked to pay more than I should be being right for whatever the service is especially if I'm going by myself as like a woman alone, you know, that's why I kind of try to go with men, unfortunately, like right as a barrier, just in case, but yeah, I got you. you I think I understand now. So are you saying that, you know, there are guys that go to clubs and they hit on a girl thinking, you know, they're all smooth and stuff. And then at the end of the night, you know, they do whatever in their hotel room. And then she asks for, 3000 baht or something. Yeah. With him thinking that, you know, he just, you know, picked up a girl and a normal girl at the club, but she ended up being a, you know, prostitute. Yeah. And that was, you know, okay. like not intentional. Yeah. Right. Right. Yes. I, I, I hear that happens a lot actually. Oh. And um, yeah, I guess you don't really know, especially yeah, if you're a first time traveler and you're not from these streets I feel like if if I were to talk to a girl, I would be able to tell very quickly what she was in for, because I, I, I feel like I can, I'm really good with human behavior, but I, I cannot say the same for a lot of guys out there, especially if you're drunk, right? Especially if you're on certain drugs, you may think, you know, you're the flyest guy there and you can get any girl and then you get the girl back. And then at the end, she says, oh, that's uh 5,000 baht. And they're like, what? I'm sure that happens a lot. Why do you think that was something we did in culture, you know, like getting dressed up and then flexing and trying to get the girl? Like, was that 
a thing in your like how was that um, <laughs> it was part it was definitely part of the group mentality like fortunately none of my friends were like that like we never went to the club to go hunting right if i can actually speak more for myself like uh kind of like i would just go to parties because my friends were there right i wasn't there to hit on girls right there'd be times where obviously like you would go up to talk to a girl because you know they're looking at you and they smile at you and they're like you know you get a signal but we would never really go there just to like hunt i've always was in the mentality that i would never talk to a girl in the club because you can already assume that that girl has already been approached like 20 times and i never wanted to be just another guy trying to talk to a girl so i actually like rarely did it or almost never did it and so fortunately my boys were were pretty much the same and i never really hung out or was close to the other group of guys where they would just go hunting all the time and uh i it seemed to work for me i mean i got quality girls back then because you know i don't i never really picked up girls at the club things like that not saying girls at the club are a certain way but you know i think you uh if you just chill back and you kind of see what's good for you 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 have plenty of good options i think that's interesting i think most i would assume the men that go to the club trying to get a woman's attention or seek their approval in some way is because they're probably experiencing a lack of that love from their mother yeah. in whatever form it is so would you say that basically your your mom was the breadwinner in your family, right? And the expression of love was abundant there, right? So how does that translate to your partner now? Like what qualities were you looking for in a viable partner? I mean, that's a great question. And uh, if I can go back to the cold clubbing thing, I think that that had to do with the amount of you know respect that I had for females in general. And I think that was compounded by the amount of love that was shown to me by, you know, not just my mom, my dad as well. Even though he was like the most soft-spoken guy, he never said a word, but he, you know, lived through actions. And yeah, being surrounded by that love, you just have a certain respect for women as well, because you see your mom working her ass off, kissing her kids every day, like that's mad respect there. And so it's part of the reason why, you know, I don't go to the club trying to just like, you know, pick up because I just don't see it, see it that way. But anyways, the qualities that I see in a viable partner, um, you know, they have to have a good heart and you kind of, you kind of feel that on the first date, right? You can kind of see how they treat the waiter, see how they, you know, treat the taxi driver, things like that. And if you met my, my current wife, I met her all the way in Thailand. I met her on Tinder, right? <laughs> We're a Tinder success story. It is possible, guys, to meet pretty amazing people on Tinder or Bumble or whatever you're on, as long as you have the right intention for it. And so, yeah, I don't know. I just feel like I, I have a great, I was, I was handed a great hand of cards. And, you know, my current wife, she's has a super big heart. She always puts everybody in, like before herself, just super genuine. I mean, it's crazy to think that, you know, I had to move all the way across the world and I found someone that is on the same level as me in terms of like our vibrations, our energy, things like that. So yeah, she's amazing. And a lot of the qualities she has is reflective of my mom for sure. Yeah. And I think that's one of the most positive stories of linking your partner to your mom, you know, because psychologically that's totally true right but usually it's in a negative context you know of like I wasn't receiving the, the right love and here I am trying to chase it and I think that's a very troubled masculine trait to be chasing you know yeah thinking that you have to present yourself in something that isn't your true authentic self in order to receive something in return and thinking that way is a conditional love right like if I do this, then I will receive that, you know, versus waiting it out and, you know, going around the world to find it, right? Yeah. And the unfortunate thing is most people don't realize they're they're dealing with that trauma and that it's affecting every every type of behavior, you know, that they ha and relationships that they have with people. 
And, but it's obvious you can see it in somebody by the way they act, right? If I meet someone at the gym and he's super aggressive and he's like, you know, telling people to move their weights and like things like that, because there's a guy at my gym that does that. I look at him, I'm like, okay, that guy's dealing with something. Like there is some trauma down there that he has not neutralized yet. And so you kind of feel for those people because they have no idea. Yeah. I also hired a, a, a mindset coach in the last two months and she's really helped me break through a lot of my mental barriers. You know, all she did was ask me a bunch of questions to help me dig down and to really neutralize a lot of stigma I had. Uh, I had some resentment towards my wife um, about the business that we have together. And my mindset coach helped me break through that to kind of really see what was really behind my wife's actions that I didn't see before. And so now that I see it that way, it's like really opened up. It's just opened up our relationship in a really positive way. And instead of seeing her like in the way, I see her as on the way now with everything I do. That's beautiful. Can I ask you, what was the resentment that you built up? Like, was it certain actions or? Yeah, if I could try to keep this short story. So so we have a health food restaurant in Bangkok. It's a, it's a bone broth cafe in Thailand. Yeah, so it was a, it was a crazy idea. My wife's idea actually we started that because she wanted me to have something i was proud of something i stood by because she knew how crazy i was about health and so we started that business and then you know times got really stressful it stressed out her so much that she wanted to step out because it was just like too much for her on her shoulders she's never owned a business in her life when customers complain it would like really really bury her and so she stepped out to kind of heal herself but I didn't really see it like that I was like oh my gosh I can't believe she you know she started this business and she had no idea how much work there was involved so she just stepped out and bounced and like put everything on my shoulders right so that's how I originally saw it but then you know my mindset coach made me realize that the reason why she stepped out is because she really needed to kind of save herself mentally in order to be my wife as well because if if she drove herself to the ground and continued, you know, we may not be in, in the same relationship right now. So she kind of like stepped away so that she can kind of recalibrate and focus on also being my my wife and like supporting me. And I didn't see it that way at first. And so now I see that, you know, everything she does, all her actions is because she's just trying to be, you know, a great wife, a supportive wife to me. And yeah, she just wants us to kind of thrive together. Yeah, breaking through that, there's a lot of tears. When I kind of admitted all of this and kind of presented this to her, like, oh, I resented you this time because this is this, but now I see it in a different way. And we actually freaking cried together for like 10 minutes. It was, uh, it was pretty intense. So yeah, I encourage everyone, if you're stuck, find a mindset coach. I mean, I have a great one. Yeah, that's amazing. And I think everyone's afraid of that, you know, that abandonment, you know, if someone is like walking out and then leaving you to deal with it and the acceptance of just like, okay, well, she needed to do that to remain who she was, right? And yes. That's, isn't that the most precious thing versus, you know, someone sticking it out and hurting themselves within that process, right? And you yes. have to definitely flip that mindset. Okay, so I want to wrap up with three questions. The first question is, what toxic behaviors did you have in 2020 that you would like to change and prioritize on improving 2021? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, one of them is, caught me off guard here. One of them is preaching, being preachy. Okay. And so I need to kind of realize further that you cannot save everybody and you can only help people that want to be helped. Right. And this goes with health, like not forcing, you know, nutritional tips on someone that's not even like they don't even really want. They don't even really have specific health or body goals. But, you know, this guy keeps telling me that I should be eating this way, this way, this way. That's a I know that's a toxic behavior because it really affected my relationship with my wife because I used to be like that to her. And it really pushed her away to the point where she would like get out of the house to eat certain things because she knew that I, w I would be like judging her. Oh, wow. And yes, it's it was crazy toxic. So I kind of realized that now and I'm a lot better. 
of course I'm not perfect, but yeah, realizing that just live by example. And if people want to follow, they'll follow whatever you do. Just like, don't be preachy. Yeah. I love that. Like sometimes you can see the solution and you just want to like shake it out of them. <laughs> if, yeah. they, if they don't want to, then they don't want to. Right? Yeah. So, okay. My second question to you is what negative ideas do your female friends have about themselves that you wish you could change? What negative feelings do my female friends have about themselves? Yeah. Um, negative feelings. This sounds like such an easy question. Like, um, 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 God damn. Um, a negative idea that women have that I feel like they shouldn't have. Yeah, about themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, in general, especially in Bangkok or in Thailand, I guess, yeah, so there's a sense that, you know, women in Thailand, if they don't come up from a, you know, a wealthy family, that they're always looking for, you know, that one guy to pick them up, you know, you know, at the club or something in hopes that they'll, they'll entice them enough to, you know, make them fall in love with them and hopefully possibly marry them and end up, end up giving them, you know, financial freedom. Yeah, I think it's a sad reality that, you know, that for mo- for a lot of Thai women, that that is one of the ultimate goals, right? So it's not just to make money, I think, from these like one night stands, but it's actually to clasp onto these guys so that, you know, maybe there's a possibility that they would like them enough that they'd marry them and they'd have a secure future, they'd have family with them and things like that. And so, of course, we want something different. We want to tell these women that, you know, you can empower yourselves in a, in another way. And, you know, there's another way to make money and, you know, find security for yourself. In terms of this, I think it's so etched into the culture that it's very, very difficult to kind of reverse that, right? And especially with the way things are going now and like small businesses are shutting down, I think people are becoming more and more desperate. And so I think it's even harder for Thai women, especially to empower themselves in these situations. And so, yeah, there's no really a positive ending to this, to this answer. But, you know, I wish there was a way to kind of show them that there is another way instead of relying on a man to kind of solidify their, their future in that sense. And I think it's interesting. You say it from where you're living right now and like you're seeing the most extreme version of that but i would say that even in first world countries like back here in toronto that's still the most popular thought you know that women can only do so much but they'd still require a man to complete them you know and yeah that the fact that that's external is you know pretty dangerous yeah i just tweeted something today like uh the biggest lie you've ever been told is find someone that makes you happy that's that's really deceiving because you are the only person that can make you happy, right? Or you should be. You should be in control of your own happiness. But yeah, you can find someone that adds to the happiness. But the fact that we're, we have the advice that find someone that makes you happy is totally bullshit to me. <laughs> Man or woman. Exactly. Right? Yeah. The fact that it's somewhere out there to get versus like it's in you the whole time. Yeah. So. I want to just ask you one more question because I just think it's interesting. Like, why was that question so hard for you to answer? Oh, (laughs) (laughs) I kept I kept thinking of something to do with health and nutrition and like what girls are dealing with, with like body shaming and things like that. To be honest, I don't know why that answer was so hard for me. Like, I just drew a freaking blank. I think it's interesting because... It, I mean, you were so quick to talk about yourself, right? Like, you know, what toxic behaviors that you have that you want to change and improve on, right? Yeah. But then if you put yourself in another gender, like you can't relate to women, right? Because you aren't one, obviously. Um, so when I say like negative thoughts that they might have about themselves, then you're like, well, what, what is it? Mm-hmm. You know, and maybe you might exactly like you said, like all humans might have, you know, body shaming issues or body confidence or anything like that as a general scale but once you 
focus on just one gender that you can't relate to, I think it's really interesting because it just shows like what you haven't asked. Yeah, that is that is very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, like why couldn't I come up with the answer? Is it because I I really don't know what negative feelings that women go through? That could be it. Yeah, (laughs) and I don't think you should know. You know what I mean? If you didn't ask or get involved in it, and most of the time it is like the answer is always like some kind of pop culture focus, like oh, you know, they they shouldn't have to look like Kim Kardashian or like you know something that they might already have heard in the news, but don't are are still like kind of detached from. Um, So I think it's really interesting. Um, and like, I don't know if I can answer the same. I'm, I think now I can start to answer the same for men because it's all about like, you know, fear of whatever the conditions are to be a man. You know, yeah. they're varied by far, but there's a lot of like strain on being successful or being financially secure and all those things, right? So there's it's very different than a woman because women don't really think about finances because usually they look to a man to to carry that on for them. So. I think it's interesting, an interesting question. So don't worry so much about not being able to answer it. But yeah, yeah. I think it's really that, fun. That was something interesting to answer because I've never really shared what I see in every, not everyday life, but when I go like out at night and I see uh, how aggressive the girls are with guys because now I know like at the end of the day, the intention is to get, get the guy to like them enough that, you know, maybe they would date them and then end up marrying them, things like that. And I hear stories all the time where, you know, you meet a girl and, you know, they'll text you like nonstop. Like, I miss you. Where are you? I miss you. I miss you. I miss you. And like guys will think, oh, that's so fucking annoying. Right. But if you put if I put myself in the girl's shoes, you just want to like, you know, make sure you are top of mind to these guys to, you know, get their attention. Because at the end of the day, you are trying to get them to, you know, secure, secure you in, in a sense. Yeah, I remember this one guy, he's like a fashion photographer. And then I haven't seen him in a couple of years. And then all of a sudden, we're both in New York one day. And he's like, so I have a son. And I was like, what? And he randomly impregnated this girl in Thailand, and now has a son and, you know, married her, because all she did was like, continually send him like updates of like the pregnancy and then the baby. So he was caught through that and he was like oh she's so lovely because like all she does is you know take care of the baby and i come visit whenever i feel like it and i'm like this is the most like non-realistic like unrealistic kind of lifestyle where like you can just come in and out whenever you feel like and then you know this (laughs) this woman yeah yeah. sadly that's how a lot of the situations are here yeah like i feel like they have a lot of a lot of power because oh i can just dip whenever i want when i come back you know, my kid will be taken care of. All all I have to do is send a little bit of money. Yeah, yeah, it's wild and wild times, yo. And then I think that's the biggest problem because I think women, you know, wealthier countries have high expectations of their man. You know, like they want them to be present, be responsible for themselves and for the family, and 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 right. And they're like, and well, listen, <laughs> yeah, they're like, better listen, yeah. So very interesting. <laughs> It's the last question. It's out of all of the topics that we spoke about. Is there anything that jumped out to you that you would like to invite another man to elaborate on further? Yeah, I kind of, um, it actually all ties together. I kind of want to know a man's perspective on, you know, how they perceive and treat women now based on how their upbringing was growing up in a traditional household. And if, they feel like any toxic traits have have come up because of their any type of particular type of childhood upbringing because for me like as blessed as i was i didn't really you know have the traditional childhood upbringing and so i would love for you to have a guest that you know exhibit some toxic traits that we talked about like let's say you know guys that travel to somewhere like thailand and they have fun and try to kind of um, force their their power onto you know certain behaviors and yeah it would be so interesting to if you had a guy on the podcast who exhibit those toxic traits and talk about how they were how they were brought up in their household if that's even possible yeah i've had a couple that would explain that like and it's usually some kind of problem against their father 
you know, like yeah, right. They built That's interesting to me. Yeah, like they built resentment for their mom at the time for being like you know seemingly overly emotional, and then their father always looked like cool and calm and collected. And then yeah. when they grew up, they were like, oh, being unemotional isn't like the best route to go. You know, why did you treat mom like this? And then they build a new resentment against their father. And then I think only until they can forgive their father and forgive themselves and then like just understand where the love is really coming from from their mother can really unpack that but that's like three people <laughs> to unpack so i think as like just a general basis if you don't add siblings or anything else yeah it's uh it's tough but i think that's something i deal with all the time like or did deal with all the time if i ever dated a white guy you know mm. th there was that sense of needing to show me stuff about western culture and in a sense you know even though i was born in a western country it's just there was still that underlying expectation of just like some level of racism in that aspect of it of let me be the one to show you the way through things so right very interesting uh thank you so much for this chat it's uh it was really good that was so fun i really enjoyed hearing the story about how his wife stepping down from working together in their business actually made him feel really resentful about her and his process in forgiveness and realizing the true intentions behind her actions. I really hope you guys do check out the Tether app if you are looking for peer support along your journey. The more men I speak to, the more I see how important it is to have a safe space to express your emotions and to process things differently and maybe have a different outlook on how you're interacting with people around you or how are you receiving certain behaviors that you experience? Make sure to subscribe. And if you'd like to be on the show or know someone with a unique perspective, slide into my DMs at Miss Amanda Chan on Instagram. And I'll see you next Wednesday with more episodes of The 100 Masked Men.